we're in the middle of a, a series that we've titled Noise. And this week, uh, we want to change our focus a little bit, still talking about noise, but I want to talk about the Bible. I want to talk about what, what that noise really does, and particularly in light of how we, how we approach the Bible. Now, the Bible, just a, quick, a few little quick facts about the Bible. Now, most of you uh, are going to be already aware of this, although if you're not, that's all right, doesn't matter. But the Bible is not one book. The Bible is a whole heap of books. In fact, the Bible is 66 books all put together in one volume. So when we talk about the book of the Bible, well, it's not really a book. We're talking about a whole volume of books all stuck in the one, you know, between two covers in the, in the one volume. And, and these books, so this is not probably too much new, it may be, it may not be to, to you. Um, and so there's books that were written before the time of Christ, there were books that were written after the time of Christ. The majority of them were written before, but we've certainly got a, a, good, a good chunk of the Bible is made up of books that were written after. Okay, so no, probably no too, nothing too surprising right there. Um, the, thing, the interesting thing about all this uh, is that this book was written... The Bible, or this volume of books, was written over about 1,500, 1,600 year period. Okay, so that's a long time. I say, six, you know, 1,600 years it took to write all this. That's a long time. Um, there were 40 odd different writers. Okay, so there's a whole heap of people who have contributed to that. Obviously, you can't, you know, you've got to be pretty old if you live to the end of that. Um, written in a few different languages. The main two languages, Hebrews and, Hebrew and Greek, or there was a few others that that's, we see sprinkled amongst the original writing. Alright, so there's the Bible. Um, and if we look at the Bible, and we look at the little bit of the history of the Bible, uh, when it was written, all that sort of stuff, it all sort of, okay, that sort of makes sense. But the interesting thing about the Bible is, I guess, we, we look at this as, as the words of God. Now, it depends, depends on your perspective. Some people do or don't believe that this Bible is actually inspired by God, or the writers, indeed, are inspired by God. Some people just think, oh, yeah, it's a book of myths. And even some Christians will think that the Bible is a book of myths. Some Christians will think, oh, well, it's just a, there's a lot of philosophy, there's a bit of fact there, there's a bit of like, you know, there's just mystical stuff and, and you know, take or leave it however you choose. Now, that's, some, that's, that's some people's perspective. Other people just think, nah, it's not even accurate, it's not even historically accurate. Um, that can be fairly well debated, fairly easily debated. Uh, but, but in any case, the Bible is a book that has changed history and has changed the world all over the globe, has changed, changed governments, it's changed nations, it's changed all sorts of stuff all around. Uh, so whatever you think about the Bible, you need to, I guess, keep in mind that there's a lot of people who have placed a lot of significance on this book. And as you look through history, uh, we go into the New Testament times, Jesus' times, we see, we see Jesus and, and other Bible characters um, that are recorded at that time going into the synagogues, into their churches, and reading from the scriptures, which would have been the, the Old Testament. Uh, and we see, we see them using these scriptures. And, and, and Paul actually writes, that's Paul the evangelist actually writes in the Bible, he says, look, all scriptures, all scriptures worth listening to. And we might come to that a bit later. He said, all scriptures worth having a look at. All scriptures inspired by God and is, and is useful for us. That's the Neil Redden paraphrase. But... The Bibles were significant. And then if we go on a little bit in history, we go, we go down a couple of hundred years, two or three hundred years, we begin to see what we now call the New Testament come about. 
And these are the writings, these are different things. These were the Gospels where, where Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and these other guys. And then we had um, Paul and we had Peter. We had a few different people contributing. And they began to collate. And there's a whole story. We could talk about that for a long time, but we'll give you the short version. Basically, all those writings come together and they said, look, this, we're going to form this new part of this Bible. This is the New Testament. This is the history of Jesus. And so they put that into the book. And so then when we put them all together, and basically that's what we've got now. The only thing about all this was it was still written in, or, or primarily written in its, in its original text, in its original languages. And as time moved on and the, and the church, as it was then known, become to be known, uh, sort of after maybe if we fast forwarded a thousand odd years, they actually didn't really like other people reading the Bible, which to us sounds a little bit unusual that, that the Bible was not, you know, the, the, the clergy, the, the you know, the, the people in charge of the church didn't want people to read the Bible. In fact, so much so that, like I said, around your Middle Ages, around your 1200, 1500 um, AD, they would actually violently oppose anyone who, who took on the, you know, the Bible or tried to read the Bible for themselves or... Um, or who, who indeed stepped outside of the theology of what the church at the time um, uh, agreed upon and wanted to, to tell everyone what it was all about. And so there's this big battle, and there's, there's a whole heap of groups, like I won't go into all the detail, but there's a whole heap of people, there's a whole heap of people who tried to preserve the scriptures as, as, their, as their original text, there's a whole heap of people who, who tried to maintain what they thought was accurate, uh, and, and we can, a, like I said, there's a whole heap of history. You can go right into it if you if you that way inclined, and you can figure out and how it all happened, and you can learn about why it still may be very accurate. But the long and the short of it was, there was a lot of people who went through a lot of grief. And I'm talking hundreds and thousands of people who went through a lot of grief. I'm talking people that were tortured to death in all ways, shapes, and forms because they were trying to preserve the Bible, because this book that they had was so precious to them. And in fact, we find wherever the Bible goes throughout the world and throughout the history, wherever the Bible goes, wherever the Bible becomes accessible, begins to change individuals and begins to change cultures and indeed change nations. Like this Bible, whether you believe it or not, whether you're, you know, you might not be, you might not be, um, you know, right into this God stuff or you might be a, someone who's been around it for a long time, whatever your take on, the, on this Bible, whatever you see this Bible as representing, facts are it changes. It has changed history and it's changed, changed worlds and, and nations in, in amongst this globe. And so we're sitting in this 1500-odd uh, time frame and, and then there's a few individuals that begin to think, you know what, we need to make this accessible. We need to make this Bible accessible to the, to the common person who majority were, could not read or write, uh, so they, and certainly couldn't understand other languages. And so there's a few individuals, um, there's Tyndale, there's, uh, and there's Martin Luther who translated into the German, there's other guys that were contributing factors, and then, and then we get up to the 1600s where the English Bible's first translated, and, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this revolution that takes place, the Reformation, because people themselves begin to, to, uh, access the Bible. And it's just an incredible stuff takes place. There's an incredible amount of things that, that take place because of this. Um, and, it's, and it's amazing to see the Bible at work. If we move 
from that time to our times, uh, there are still places in this world, there are still countries in this world that are violently opposed to the Bible, that are violently opposed to these words of God. There are places that are becoming a little bit more relaxed, like you think of places like China. Uh, not so many years ago, it was nearly impossible to get a Bible into China, or, or you know, it was just a whole heap of stuff. That, you know, it was, it was risky. Um, nowadays, it's getting a little bit more relaxed. Although there certainly are these places, and I'm not, I'm not the full bottle on all this sort of, of of all different places, but there are some places around the world where you know that you will find yourself in some pretty deep strife and, and having caused cause some pretty deep grief if you try and start giving out Bibles. And so a lot of people have gone through a lot of stuff just to get a Bible. And I want to just um I just want to make a little bit of a contrast, okay, to, to what to what that is. So so we've got we've got people throughout time who have struggled to, to get hold of a Bible. We've got people throughout different countries even today that struggle to get a Bible. Now, Friday, yesterday, I just did a bit of a wander around just our department here in, at the school, okay, just chaplaincy. And, and this is what I was able to come up with. Alright, that's just chaplaincy, okay? Their carton's full of Bibles. There's like, accessing a Bible is not a problem for us. You know, we've just got, like, like, there's, Literally thousands and thousands and thousands of words and, and pages and chapters and, you know, and, and copies and we have, you know, and we've got, not only do we have numbers of Bibles, but we've got like, if I went down here, you know, we've got New Living Translation, we've got Gideon Bibles, um, there's the NIV, I think it is, um, Contemporary English Version, there's Children's Bibles, Discoveries Bibles, a Street Bible, uh, Poverty and Justice Bible, um, I've got a Greek Bible here. Can anyone, can anyone read Greek? Nope, neither can I. Um, we've got a world changes. There's like, there's just like we just like have all these Bibles dumped on us. Like we we have no issue. And that's before that's before I pull out my phone and and access any version of the Bible that I would like to. And you could probably I don't know if I took a guess, maybe eighty percent of us had a phone with the Bible on it right here today. You could just go, oh, I'll just check that out, Neil. So if you run right on that computers, whatever, on the net, whatever it is, and you can, there's study tools on the net, there's all sorts of stuff. Accessing the Bible for us today in our culture, not a problem, too easy. And yet we see so many people throughout history and still throughout geographic locations in the world today that are going, oh man, if I only had a few pages out of the Bible... And there's so many stories of people just being persecuted and heads chopped off and limbs ripped off and all sorts of nasty things just because they wanted to preserve what we have so much of. The question for us is, is the Bible still changing lives? Is the Bible still changing lives in our culture, in our, in our times? And if it's not, and often we see that it's not doing so well, Often it's the noise that we have in our culture. Availability, accessibility for the Bible, not a problem for us. All right? And that might be pretty, you know, a first world glutton issue that we might have. There's so much here. That's reality. And if you, I reckon if every, probably 
the vast majority of people sitting in this room at least if we went home you could pull off a shelf somewhere you could come up with at least a few more than one Bible in your own home as well accessing the Bible is not an issue but yet often we still don't if we're being honest pick it up and read it like if I asked you this question if I said how much time do you spend a day on average reading the word of God if you were to be honest with yourself don't answer me that but I'm just thinking everyone's going to be different some people might be going oh yeah I do a little bit and other people go Phew. it was back in 1973 when I, no, you know what I mean like it was a long time ago when I last read the Bible even though you still consider yourself a Christian, even though you still thought, no, no, look, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and that's not the problem, but how long ago did you let the Bible firsthand change your life and make an impact in your life? And sometimes we sort of rely on second-hand information. Sometimes we, I'm not saying it's you, or I'm not, not looking at any person in particular, but sometimes we look at uh, other people to give us some second-hand information. Okay, we'll go and listen to Neil and he yabbers on a little bit, but you know, we're here, it might not be too bad, we'll get something out of that. But we don't rely on the first-hand information. We don't let God speak to us directly. We don't sort of take the time. Like how many, how many hours a day or how many minutes a day, seconds a day would you take reading the Bible, letting God speak to you directly? Over a week, how much would that be? Maybe it's still pretty close to zero. Maybe over a month, I don't know. Ask yourself the question. If this is a world change, you know, and <laughs> it's interesting. Um, here, here not long ago we had world, world changes which was a youth rally, a youth uh, congress here in, in, in Brisbane here. And they printed all these Bibles up. And uh, this is a world changes Bible and that's what we're talking about, what, the Bible changing the world. And in fact, the irony of this is, wait for this already, the irony of this is that places like China where Bibles are really hard to get into, right, like, or have been, they're sort of certainly relaxing a little bit now. If we look on top of these boxes here on these cartons, excuse me, if we look on top of these cartons, um, I'm, I'm going to show you one just to... Uh, just to make a point. I don't know if you can see that, someone up the front. Made in China. Alright, so these Bibles, the places where it's really hard to get Bibles into and where there's a desperate need for Bibles, they're printing them and sending them to us who have a lot. I don't know. Go figure that. Accessibility is not a problem, but when have we last let the Bible change our lives? When have we last let God speak to us directly, straight to our heart, and let us to, to change our life? Now, talking about that happening, and often, like I said, it's the noise. There's just so much going on around us. There's so many distractions, and it's just like, I'm too tired, you know. And, and I don't know, like, I liked what you were saying there before, Jacques, about, you know, the morning and the evening is the best, you know, that's what you're going to remember. All right? that's, that's often the place. And I think... If we're talking about developing habits, about you know spiritual habits, about getting into the Bible, then I think there's something in that. In fact, I think there's something about letting. Okay, I know not everyone's a morning person, and I am, so I'm I'm, I'm a bit biased. But I think there's something about starting your day with the Bible, starting your day that lets the whole day be changed by God. I'm not saying you can't read your Bible at night or anything like that. Don't get me wrong, but there's something good about at least having some something happen in the morning where God's able to touch your life and you're able to apply that for, you, for your whole day. And quite often we, you know, ask yourself this question. How often, and I'm looking at the students now, 
um, whether you're a high school student or a uni student or whatever you might be, how often have you gone, man, I've got like an assignment due and, I'm, and I haven't got any time and it's the, last, you know, it's the night before stuff and you're like, oh, I've got like five hours work, you know, of work to do and it's already 9 or 10 o'clock at night and you're just going, oh, and you plop down so like discouraged and you end up turning the TV on and you sit there for an hour and watch telly. Why do we do that? Why do we, why, why do we sort of go, oh, I'll watch, you know, I'll watch an hour of telly instead of doing my assignment? Or you think, oh, you know, I've never got, I'm so busy I haven't got time to read the Bible. But yet we can do the same, pop down in front of the telly and it's like, oh, you know, tongue comes out and we sort of just sit there and dribble away as we watch, you know, some completely meaningless thing that we, we don't even really like, but it's just like, oh. not saying anything wrong with watching telly, and that's what not I'm saying here, but when do we prioritise? Or how often in our conversations um, do, we, do we turn to, to God's stuff? Like, just ask yourself a question, like a bit of a reality check. Is, that, is, is, this pro, is this a priority for us? Is reading the Bible, doing God's stuff a priority for us? Or is it just like, he's down the list a little bit and it rarely makes it to the top? Just a little reality check. Now, if I asked, and I do ask students here at North Pine and other people quite often about... How many people here have tried to read the Bible? And I'm not going to ask the question now, I could if you want, but anyway, you know, nearly every hand goes up, yeah, I've tried to read the Bible. And then you ask the second question, how many people here got past Leviticus? And everyone's like, yeah, that's about where I stopped to. You know, like, like quite often, you know, everyone starts, okay, we open up the Bible, we start at the first book of the Bible and we start reading Genesis. Genesis is actually pretty cool, there's some cool stories in Genesis. And so that sort of keeps our interest a little bit. And so we read through Genesis and then we have, you know, we have, we have Adam and Eve, obviously, that's the first thing, and we have, we have Noah's and we have Abraham's and we have those few different things that happened there. And then Exodus comes along. Exodus is not too bad either, because Exodus is pretty cool. That's the whole Moses story. You know, so Moses and Egypt, and you know, we see movies of that. And so that's sort of, that's, that's a pretty cool story. So we, we get through Exodus. So the back end of Exodus starts getting a bit, bit of a drain. Like it's all these laws and stuff. Okay, but, and then we sort of plod through that. Okay, keep going, keep going. We nearly, you know, then we get to Leviticus, and that's my, that's just too hard. And even if we are reading it, we're really just looking at the words, hey. Like you're not reading the words. You're just looking at them. Like you're not taking it in. You're just looking at the words. And we get through that and we, it's just like, oh man. And then we might, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll flick through. And you, so you bypass a few of those and you bypass Deuteronomy and then you sort of get to, oh, Psalms is not so bad and you read. And then two months later you realise that I haven't picked up the Bible for a long time. And I've just let it go. Never happened to you. It's happened to me, I can be honest, it's happened to me. So today I wanted to spend this last few minutes, I wanted to, to talk about how we study the Bible. Um, the Bible is, I believe, can still change, does and can still change lives. I believe it can change any, doesn't matter if you're a seasoned Christian or if you've walked in, into a church, this is your first visit ever to a church or it's the first one for a long time or whatever it might be. Whoever you are, and you know, even if you're not right into this God stuff, even if you, even if you don't even believe in God, you know what, the Bible has some pretty awesome things in here, some pretty, pretty good gems of wisdom that you can just live life by, even if you took God out of the picture. Now obviously God's a, God is, you know, in the Bible in a big way. But even if you, even if you said to yourself, oh, I'm not into that God stuff, you know what, there's some, still some pretty awesome things in the Bible that we can use. Um, and so today I wanted to uh, just talk about, a little bit about the how. Uh, before that, I want to go back to that text that I talked about earlier where Paul wrote. And he wrote to the, um, a young bloke called Timothy. I'll throw that text up there. Thanks, guys. It's um, Timothy 2. 3 to 16 and 17. I'll read it off. I'll just find it here. 
And this is what Paul's take on the whole scripture thing was, really. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. All right, so he was actually talking about the Old Testament at the time, because this wasn't part of the New, like he's writing in the New Testament. So he's talking about the Old Testament. And like I said, but a bit later on, they, they added a few of these letters and a few of these gospels and, and a whole chunk of stuff, and we added it to the, what we now call the Bible, uh, or the words of God. All scripture is inspired by God. In other words, God has had a divine impact in making these words come out. He, 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 it's not just like some random guy just writing off stuff. It's God has, has been a part, and we often say the person who writes, the writer has been inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realise realize what is wrong in our lives. In other words, it's words to live by. You want to know what's good and bad, or you want to know how to be happy, how to do the right thing, and how to get by, and how to live in a community, all that sort of stuff. Scripture tells you all about that. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches what teaches us to do what is right. More of the same. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So he said, the scripture, there's some good stuff in there. If you spend some time in there, you will be impacted. And I will guarantee, even if you are a seasoned Christian, or if you haven't, you know, you're sort of somewhere in the middle or you haven't been, indeed, you know, you don't really into that God stuff, no matter who you are. Reading a portion of scripture on a regular basis, and I'd say daily basis if we can make it happen, changes lives. It changes your life. It impacts lives. And you might even be able to remember if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you may even remember a period of time in your life where you've gone, you know what, I remember when I picked up the Bible and I was reading it solidly for you know, maybe a month or two. Now I don't know what happened, but I did it for a month or two, but I remember how great it was. And I remember what sort of, I was inspired at the time. I mean, I don't know, I haven't done it for a while, but I, that, I remember, God at work. God at work through his words, through that inspiration, um, is, is making a difference in your life. And that's a pretty cool thing. Now, coming back to a little bit about what I said before, most of us, we pick up the Bible, or often we pick up the Bible, and we, and we just think, oh, it's all too hard, it's all too boring. I'm being honest, you know. It's, it's just like stuff that I don't know about. It's all too hard. Where do you start? Where do you stop? It's all too boring. If, if we say that being a Christian is not all about what you know, it's not all about, you know, is there an exam and there's a certain number of things you have to know. It's about the grace of God. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's what Christianity is all about, and I believe it is, then it's not about the amount that you know, but it's the who you know. And if we keep that in perspective, and if we keep that in mind, and we say it's the who we know, not the what you know, then how do we get to know Christ? How do we get to know God? And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to spend a few... I'm going to spend a few minutes here just talking about maybe how do we read the Bible and, and how do we um, gain that knowledge of who he is, build that relationship. So I've got a few points. Um, the first point, and if you can't remember these, there's some, there are little flyers out, out on the desk out there. They've got these in point form. Um, you can take that home and, and try and remember these. But um, the first is, I've got four points that we're going to ask ourselves. Now, the first point we're going to ask ourselves, this is, this is like a head there. So we're asking the question now, how do we read the Bible to make it meaningful for us on a daily basis? And the first point 
I'm going to go with is we're going to pick a passage. All right, what do you mean, Neil, by pick a passage? All right, if I'm going to get to know, if I'm going to get to know God, then how are we going to get to know what he's like? Well, Jesus actually says himself, and he says this in John 14, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, now the Father and I are one. So if we're going to get to know Jesus, if we're going to get to know God, we're going to get to know Jesus, same thing. It's interchangeable. And if we're going to get to know, if we're going to get to know Jesus, where's the best place to go? So, where's the best place? If we're going to get to know Jesus, where's, where do we go? Where's, where do we see Jesus the most in the, in the whole Bible? What books? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Why? It's all about Jesus. Okay, they're, they're like a biography. All right, so that's just like, it's a, they're stories about Jesus. So you couldn't get any more uh, specific, any more like defined than, than Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. If you want to know about Jesus, this is where Jesus did all his stuff. I mean, he did his stuff other, other places, but this is where it's recorded. It's like, this is a running commentary on the life and times of Jesus. And there's a bit of interpretation, there's a bit of stuff thrown in there as well, but this tells us who Jesus is. So if I was saying to you, to any person who's interested in getting to know God that little bit better, let's get to know Jesus, and let's get to know Jesus by going to one of the Gospels. And so what, we know, what I would suggest, now this is not the only way. There's other ways to get to know God. This is not like, this is not, this is, this is not, you know, found in the just you know Revelation 23 or something like that, or whatever it is. This is not somewhere in the Bible, but this is just, an, a, a, I guess, a, a method of just growing your faith, growing your growing your love in Jesus Christ. That may help. You might have something else, and you go, no, no, I've got a reading plan, and it's you know it's worked. That's awesome, great, seriously, fantastic. But quite often we just sort of get stuck down, and here's just a, here's just a way of making things fairly simple, but at the same time making God really really talk to your life. So Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, so the first thing, pick a passage. So I'd say go to the Gospels. And I would, if it was me, and which I often do, is, is work just working through a Gospel. And if you want to feel good about things, start with Mark, because Mark's like the shortest Gospel, and you'll get through it sooner, and you'll go, Woohoo, I've already read a chapter, I've already read a whole book. You know, that's awesome. Um, they've always got their different spin on, on, on the life and time of Christ. Uh, but one of those, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I'm gonna, so what I did, I, ch- I chose a passage this morning, and I'm just gonna work through a little bit of an example in the time that we have left. Uh, just to show, I guess, how easy it is to, to really see what God, to really see God's character. Uh, so first thing, pick a passage. So the passage I'm gonna choose, I've, I've chosen, and I was actually thinking about getting one of you guys to choose a passage and show you how easy that is, and I've done that plenty of times in Bible studies where it's just, right, oh, kids, I don't care who it is, just pick a passage and we'll work through that, and that works pretty cool. But I've chosen one for us today anyway, uh, and it's John 14. Pick a passage. Now, when I, when I read the Bible, I want to try and read the least amount as possible. Make sense? Most of you are thinking, oh, yeah, I need to read about five chapters and make it worth it. No, no. I want to try and read the least amount possible. The least amount possible that makes sense, that, that still adds a story. There's still a story. So you're not just going to read a couple of verses if they don't make sense. But just, just read the shortest story possible and try and sort of go deeper rather than longer. Sort of deeper rather than wider. So John 14 is the passage I was thinking about. And I'm just going to read some of it. Okay, so John 14, verse 1, it's up there on the screen. Uh, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Uh, there is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm preparing, going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. 
Now, uh, no, uh, sorry, no, we don't know where, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? No, so this is a bit of a, this is a passage, this is a, just a little example. Jesus told him, I am the truth, the way and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you've already known me, you know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, so there's the passage. So that's, that's sort of a little story going on there. Pick a passage. Then what I would do, I'd say to you, point number two is you reread to relive it. If I ask you the question, where, was this, where did this story take place? Does anyone have any clue where this story took place? If anyone's got a Bible in front of them, they may be able to like shuffle back and have a little bit of a guess at it. But tell us, where, did, where was this story taking place? Anyone know? Just before the end of Jesus' time? Okay, so my guess is by the amount of silence is that maybe you're not real sure and that's okay. But when you reread to relive, what we're trying to do here is we try and actually, you know what, where did this happen and why did this happen and why is this story recorded? And we reread to relive and quite often I'd say, if we like to make a movie out of this scene, who's there? What's happening? What sounds are going on around it? What, what smells might you be able to... Well, that's not on a movie, but you know, what things might be able to smell? What things might be able to see? What things might you be able to touch? Who's in the room? Who, who are we talking about? What's the subject? Why has this conversation come about? Asking all these type of questions to try and get a big picture of what's going on in this story. So Ian's right. We had, uh, it's just before, um, just before Jesus was, was taken as a prisoner, or taken captive, arrested. Uh, it was in fact just, it was at the um, Last Supper where the last meal that Jesus had before he was actually arrested. This is where this conversation took place. Who was with him at this time? The disciples. Okay, so, and sometimes Jesus might be talking to, to different religious leaders, sometimes Jesus might be talking to, to the crowd, you know, just the multitude, sometimes he's talking to disciples, sometimes he's talking to just a single individual, and that sort of can make a little bit of a difference to our understanding of, of what and why Jesus is saying these things. And so here we have Jesus saying this stuff, um, and he's talking to his disciples. Um, so we reread to relive. And we try to so say that, so if you sort of try to imagine, they're in a room, uh, they've just had a meal, there's probably still food on the table, the disciples are around him, and Jesus starts saying these sort of things. Don't let your heart be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. Um, I'm going back to make a home for you. Okay, does it start to make sense now what he's actually saying? Like when I read it the first time, it's probably like, oh yeah, sort of heard it before, goes over your head. But now you're thinking, okay, they're in a room, there's food on the table, it's the last supper. Jesus knows his, his days, this is it, he's the last day that he's going to be free. Uh, so Jesus is like saying, righto, these, these boys need some encouragement. So he's, can you see what's happening here? Can you see how we start to like go a bit deeper and see how, see why Jesus might be saying it? And all of a sudden it means a few things. So we picked a passage, we reread to relive. Um, Thomas is there. Uh, Thomas pipes up and says, nah, we don't know, we don't know, Lord, we don't have a clue what you're talking about. Um, where are you? We have no idea where you're going. Um, and so Jesus says, he goes on, he says, look, I'm the truth, the way, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Tries to reiterate, look, this is, don't you get it yet? I'm the Saviour, I'm the, I'm the, you know, I am the Christ. And he talks about how he and the Father are one. So you reread, does, it, does that make sense? Does that sort of make it a little bit easier to go, oh, well, now that sort of, sort of falls into place. It just sort of makes sense. Pick a passage. And then the next day, if I, if I was to pick a passage, I'd do that for one day, and the next day I'd, I'd read the next part of that story and just try and glean little bits at a time. Pick a passage, reread to relive. What's going on? 
How's that? And there's all sorts of things and ways and means that you can try and find out what's, what's going on around you. There's study Bibles or you can read a bit beforehand, a bit after and just try and glean out the exact situation. How do we make the Bible more meaningful? Try a few of these steps. Reread to relive. Now, point number three. What is God trying to reveal in this passage about his character? What is God trying to reveal in this passage about his character? What do you reckon? Give us a few. What's God's character? Well, Jesus, God and Jesus, the Father and Jesus are all the same. Say it again, sorry. Jesus shows us God. All right. Jesus shows. What's God trying to reveal to us? Okay, God and Father are one. He's trying to say to us, look, I've revealed to you who God is in my life. He, he says that to his disciples. Yeah. Jesus' character. Give us some thoughts. Put some thought into that. What do you think? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I'll come and get you. So that where I am, you can also be. Encouragement? So he's encourager? Sorry, was something else I was going to say? Save, so Jesus is saying he's a servant because he's served, he's come to serve, he's come to save. That's where you're going with that? That's your thoughts? Trustworthy? Like all of a sudden, we've got stuff going on everywhere. All of a sudden, by spending this little bit of time reading this passage, we've discovered about who God is and about who Jesus is and who, what his character is like. How cool is it? How great is it to have a God who, who... You know, Jesus knew that he was about to go away, so he's, he's encouraging those guys. He's saying, right, he didn't, he didn't say right there and then that, look, this is the end, although he certainly was pointing towards that. But he's saying, look, I'm, I'm going to go away, um, etc., etc., and he's telling, he's encouraging these people what to do. Trust in God and trust also in me. So now we've got, now we've got a whole, okay, we've got, you could even list them off, a bank of things, a whole list of things about what God is trying to reveal to us, what God is trying to do for us, and, and how he wants us to see the character of, 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 of God and, and, and Jesus. And all of a sudden, how many people here, even in this, like we haven't even done this justice really, but even in this five minutes that we spent in this, in this passage, how many people here have gone, I never really realised about that was in that passage? A few nods. Yeah? Like when you start looking at it, you go, yeah, I never even, like we've read the story and stuff, but I never realised that, yeah, that really does point to what God is really like. That really does show that how, you know, how Jesus treated his disciples and, 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 and how he was looking after them and, and the advice that he gave. Point number four. So we've picked a passage, reread to relive. What does this reveal to, to us about the character of God? Fourth thing, last one, how do I become more like Jesus? How do I become like Christ? Or how do I become like the Father? What are these things that we said? What were these attributes? Give them, just list them off to me real quick again. We listed a few. Servant, encouragement, trustworthy, all that stuff. How do I become more like that today? I'm not talking about tomorrow, I'm not talking about next week. How do I today become more of an encourager? Wow, that's awesome. Then you can start thinking, right, I, you know, it might be a normal work day, you might be 
you know, you've got teachers in the room, you've got other people from doing other jobs, whatever it might be, going to uni, going to school, whatever it is. How can I be more of an encourager today? Well, I'm thinking, okay, if I meet up with, how can I, where can I slip in a, hey, thanks for, or you're doing great, or, or if I'm a servant, how can I be more of a servant today like Jesus Christ was? All right, so I start thinking about practical applications about how we put this in place. And if we follow it, they're real easy, okay? And it's not, it's not something that you've probably never thought about. Maybe you've never put them in steps like that or something, but stuff that we probably all have come across at some time in our, in our journey, again, whether we're a long way from God or whether we're committed Christians. But all of a sudden, right there, by reading that one passage and just spending a little bit of time on that one passage, God has changed your life if you go about putting that into practice. Your life has become changed. By, if you, like, let's take that servant. If you say today, okay, servant, Jesus Christ was servant, how can I become a servant today? And if you do just one thing that's, that is a bit more, has a bit more servant to your day, if you know what I'm saying, if you serve just one person because of what you read that day, that morning, or whenever it was, just one thing, that means God has changed your life in that one small instance. Just one. By reading the Bible, by just spending a little bit of time lingering with God, hanging with God, going through what is God really like, building that relationship. Because if I, had, if I was a new person come up here, if I got Jack to come and sit beside me right now, and, and I started saying, Jack, how was your week? And he started telling me how his week was. I'm learning about him. Um, and, we, and, you, and you become, that relationship builds because you begin to know more about that person. Just like here, if we spend that little bit of time with God and we, you know, and we talk and we, and we let God speak to us through his words, God can impact our lives. God can make a difference. God can change us on a daily basis if we choose to put aside the noise because quite often the noise is the competition. Accessibility to the Bible, not a problem. And if anyone doesn't have a Bible and says, no, really, I haven't got one, just come and grab one, all right? Take it, I don't care, you can take two or three. Accessibility is not the problem. The noise in our life, the, the, the competition, you know, whether it, it's not bad stuff, but it's the, you know, it's the phone, it's the Facebook, it's the, it's the TV, it's the, it's the work, it's the assignments, it's the whatever it is, the things that seem to just take priority by default, not because we want them to, but just because it happens. That keeps us out of the word. That keeps us from being changed from Jesus, changed to become like Jesus Christ. And my challenge would be that we could make priority number one, God, and that we could spend a little bit of time in the word and let him change us on a daily basis. That's powerful. It's not about me telling you what you should do or someone else telling you how you should live and if Christians do this and Christians... Just let God tell you all about it. Become like Jesus Christ, you'll be a different person. No matter, no matter how long you've been a Christian or if you're not a Christian at all, start doing this stuff and you'll become a, a person completely different. Spend time in the Word.